Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. And at some point, you get a knock on your door from the police. Tell me about what happened. I got woke up. I was at home at my mum's house, and I got woke up, and it was the police. And they were like, you're being arrested for rape and ABH on your girlfriend. And I said, who's my girlfriend? I don't have a girlfriend because I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. Jordan Trengrove was just 18 when he met Eleanor Williams on Lights Out in Cumbria in 2019. 18 years old, he spent 73 days in jail, charged with a crime for crimes you didn't commit. Because I'm not the only guy she's done it to, she's done it to another two, four people as well, but I was the only one that was sent to prison. And it was to do with some messages, apparently to do between me and her. But they found out that these messages were all coming from me. That's one of the other things that mainly did it like made the mud stick. I was named in the paper even before trial. I was only na- charged at this point. I was named. Welcome to the Second Chance podcast. I'm Raphael Rowe, your host. This podcast focuses on the theme of second chance, exploring who deserves it, who has the authority to grant it, and what it means. We speak with people from diverse backgrounds, including those who have been given second chances and those who some might argue don't deserve them. Jordan Trengrove's life turned upside down after he shared his partying activity on Snapchat, which led to a girl named Ellie joining him and his friends. The post changed his life forever. Ellie, whose real name was Eleanor Williams, made false allegations against Jordan, accusing him of rape. GBH and other crimes. This led to Jordan's imprisonment where his mental health deteriorated. Eleanor went on to accuse five more innocent men of crimes such as rape, grooming and human trafficking. Her lies were eventually exposed and she was found guilty of perverting the course of justice. She was sentenced to eight and a half years in prison. Jordan speaks about the experience of rebuilding his life after this traumatic event, regaining his trust in women and how the events unfolded. The story of Jordan Trengrove's experience serves as a powerful reminder 
of the impact of false allegations and the importance of resilience in the face of trauma. Through his journey of rebuilding, Jordan was able to find strength and purpose in advocating for the rights of those who have suffered similar injustices. This story highlights the importance of creating spaces that promote healing and restoration. It is crucial to provide safe and comfortable environments that support mental health and well-being. Through thoughtful interventions, we can facilitate the process of rebuilding and empowering individuals to move forward with their lives. Let me start, Jordan, by reflecting on how we got in touch in the first place. You reached out to me some time ago because you were facing some serious charges, wrongly being accused of of rape. And you reached out to me because you were, I suspect at that point in your life, terrified that you were going to be put on trial and and tried for, for crimes you didn't commit. Just take me back to, to why you reached out to me in the first place. Why, why me? I think I've watched, obviously, the World's Toughest Prison series on Netflix. And obviously, in your intro, you say that you've been to prison for a murder that you didn't commit. And then you managed to clear your name. And I've read your book as well. And it was it's not the same charges, but you've been through the similar stuff. You were sent to prison for something you didn't do and you managed to clear your name. So I thought if I reached out to you, you might be able to give me some advice on how to clear my name in a way. What was you accused of at the time? I was accused of three rapes, two ABHs and one administrating a noxious substance. And how old were you at the time? I was 18. And how old are you now? 23. How did such a, an horrendous crime land at your, your door? How did you find yourself in such a, a situation? I literally just went on a night out with two friends and then we put it on our Snapchat story that we were out and... Ellie, the girl who accused me, replied saying, can I come out with you? I've got no one to go out with. And we said, yeah, just being the nice people that we were. And basically on that night, uh, my friend received a punch. So I took him back to his house in a taxi and with his other friend and then came back to the town to meet Ellie. And Ellie was disappeared after that point. And as I went to where she used to work and that's one of the nightclubs. And I said, have you seen Ellie? And they said, yeah, she's gone home. She's being sick. And I thought, right, she's just had a bit too many to, to drink. She's gone home. And then I just carried my night, night out. And at the end of that night, there was a bit of a disturbance in a taxi rank between me and another another guy, just verbal arguing. So the police arrived and took us both home on that night. And then about a week later, two weeks later, I got woke up. I was at home at my mum's house and I got woke up and it was the police. And they were arresting me for an ABH and a rape. And I was just like what's going on like and they said it was to do with ellie and i was just like i've never even had any sexual intercourse with a girl never kissed her never anything i've met her the once and obviously i was in the back of a police van that night she was saying i raped her which the police were trying to argue that i wasn't so you're out on the night with some friends you meet up with this girl ellie did you know ellie I only knew of Ellie because she worked in one of the na- most popular nightclubs as bar staff. So it was more, hey, how are you doing? You know, can I have this drink? That's on- the only way I really knew her. So you get home and at some point you get a knock on your door from the police. Tell me about what happened. 
I was asleep at the time and I just woke up to people knocking on the door and my mum was the one who answered it and they came upstairs and I was like, this is weird, people are coming upstairs first thing in the morning. And like, and then it was the police that came into my room and I was like, what, what you doing? Why is he here? And they were like, you're being arrested for rape and ABH on your girlfriend. And I said, who's my girlfriend? I don't have a girlfriend because I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. And they said, Eleanor Williams. And I, at that point, I was just like, wow, like what is going on? Because I haven't even done anything. I was really confused and disgusted in a way, if you get, you get what I mean. And that wasn't the only time I was arrested. And then about two weeks later, after I was released, I was arrested again. So you went to the police station, you were taken to the police station and no doubt interrogated and questioned. Yeah. What was that like for you, Jordan? It was it was horrible because no matter what I said, I knew I wasn't going to be believed because as bad as it sounds, and I'm not being sexist in any way, the woman's voice is always heard a bit, little bit more than the man's. And I knew it was her word against mine. And I just knew that they were going to, they were going to be out to get me in a way. And I offered body maps, body swabs, everything, every time I was arrested. It wasn't like I was treated badly in the police station because I wasn't, but I was definitely treated different because of the crime I was there for. And and that's understandable because I suppose, well, I say understandable, but I suppose, you know, the police have to take allegations of such a nature seriously. You know, if a woman complains of being raped, the police have to take that very seriously and investigate that that allegation with I suppose from the premise that the person is telling the truth until they can prove otherwise but you felt during your interrogation that no matter what you said in your defense and no matter how much you cooperated with the police they were not believing a word you were saying no and then obviously I was released on bail that time and then I think it was a week four days later I got another knock off the door. No, it was I got rapist and my windows smashed on my mum's property. And so, rapist, so word had got out onto the street and people were now deeming you to be a yeah. rapist? Yeah, because I lived on a council estate, a, a very little council estate, and everyone knew everything and what was going on. So the word got kind of out quite fast and there was rapist spray painted right across the wall underneath the window and my window was put through and I rang the police for that. And when the police arrived, they said, are you Jordan? And I said, yes. And they said, well, you're arrested for a rape in ABH. They just didn't even mention anything to do with the window before arresting me. And they arrested me again. And that's when I was talked to the police station again. And I think I was, that was the, one of the longest times I was in the police station. It was like, I think 36 hours or something. And again, it was just the same process. I was offering everything and doing body maps, DNAs interviews I was answering all the questions my solicitor was telling me to go no comment but I wasn't even going no comment I was giving them the answers defending myself then again I was released on bail and then it was about a week later I was arrested for the final time for administrating a noxious substance in a rape because Ellie said that I'd went to her house and beat her up and raped her and stuff like this which I didn't even know where she lived and that's when after that time in the police station I think I spent like four days in the police station at that that point um and I was charged with it all and Monday came and that's when I was took to magistrate's court 
um, before the judge and that's when I was told I was going to be remanded into custody and that's where I stayed for the next 10 weeks. Gosh, so you was put into custody? Yeah. Just just to contextualise who Jordan is, what, what was your life like up until that point, Jordan? I mean, not that this is relevant in any way whatsoever, but... What was the kind of life you were leading? Were you somebody who was known to the police? Had you been in trouble before? I wouldn't say I was known to the police, but my family's name definitely was. If I was ever like dealt with the police, it was just over some petty, you know, like just childish things. Because I was originally my life was set out to try and apply for an apprenticeship in Bay Systems, and that's the submarine factory. And you, you obviously have to have a clean record and everything to do that. So that's, that's how my life was planned out. I used to go out with my friends and stuff like that. And then obviously all this came came along and I lost all my friends. I lost the reputation I had for myself. Like I don't leave the house on my own anymore. You know, it's just changed my life well and truly. Like, I'm an angry person because of it all. Like I have a lot of anger built up. I've got mental health problems because of it all. You know, it's, it's changed me completely. When you were remanded into custody, you know, as somebody who's been into prison, myself, and have been around the world looking in prisons, people who are in for for crimes such as sexual offences, rape, are treated very differently. And I know here in the British prison system, you can become the victim of, you know, senseless violence. What was What was your life like in those 10 weeks you were remanded into custody? I was on uh, the introduction wing for a week, which is basically like the normal population of the prison. There, I kept myself quite quiet. I was single-celled, didn't really leave myself. And then I applied for the protection wing. And once I was part of the protection wing, that's like... But why did you apply for the protection wing? Did you feel that was something that was needed? No, the, the prison staff said I had to because of the offence that I was in for. I wasn't allowed to go up onto the normal population Be- because as bad as it sounds, one of my uncles was above me on the wing and he's very well known in there. And I knew if I could get into the normal side of the prison, I'd be protected. That was my aim to get onto the normal side, but they just wouldn't let me. They wouldn't give me a chance. You know, I was telling them, like, I'm going to prove my innocence. I'm not here for any reason. And they were just pretty much saying, you have to be on this wing. So I went onto this wing, um, I was put into a cell with some young guy, he was a little bit older than me, and he told me what he was in for, and he was in for sending some pictures to an eight-year-old child, and he told me he pleaded guilty to this, and I was asking to be single-celled off again, and they just would not, I was so different on that wing, like they wouldn't single-cell me, they wouldn't, you know, they just, I was waiting, I think, six weeks to get my clothes, what were in the reception of the prison from the day I arrived, they just wouldn't give me any of my clothes. So I was living out of one pair of boxes, one pair of trackies, one jumper for a week till the clothes change was on that wing. I asked for a single cell, I asked to be on the normal prison, I asked to be of a cell move, and they just wouldn't do anything, you know. But danger-wise, I wasn't really at any danger because everyone else on that wing was in bad things. How did you cope psychologically? Because I take it it's your first time in custody? Yeah, it was my first ever time, yeah. So your first time in custody, despite the fact you had relatives who were inside, that has no reflection on who you are as a person. 
but it's your first time in custody, you're 18 years old. How did it impact on you psychologically? Because it's one thing having to cope with that environment when you're guilty, but to be in there when you know that you're not guilty, to be in there accused of one of the most serious of offences, sexual offences, how did you cope psychologically, Jordan? I really don't know because I didn't even get a job in there till like the week before I was granted bail and released. So I was just literally sat in my cell day in, day out, day in, day out. I didn't want to go on the exercise yard. I didn't want to socialise with anyone because as bad as it sounds, they're not the people I want to socialise with. So it was just more sit in my cell, read books and fight my way out of this, really. I was sat there. I had, I think it was like a 200-page document off my solicitor and I was just sat there every day just highlighting little bits like this is not right this is not right just getting every little bit of information and so my brain was just more swooshed up on getting me out of there really. And what was it like for your relatives your family your parents any siblings I mean obviously they are being told that you are in there for something you did do you know because that's how it works doesn't it and even though they believed in you they were not there on the night so they don't know for sure so what was it like for your family at this point it was horrible like it was my 19th I did my 19th birthday while I was in there so my my mum couldn't even see me for that my mum had a miscarriage because of it all it's done some terrible things to my family like my nana's very old and she was extremely ill at the time just recently lost my granddad at the time and she was just dealing with all that on her own you know and then she had me go to prison chucked on top of it It, you know it was really damaging for everyone not even as a family it was damaging as a community as well if you understand what I mean because our community was so tight together on such a small council estate and these accusations just ruined that for like everyone you say that you spent the 10 weeks that you were on remand going through the the documentation, the evidence, the statements, and you were highlighting things that you were drawing to your solicitor's attention. What was it like for you reading the allegations on paper? You knew they weren't true, but here you were reading stuff that said you did something you didn't do. It made me feel like very sick, like insanely sick because some of the stuff that she was coming out with was really brutal and it was quite shocking like i don't know if you read any of the news reports that i tweeted you um she beat herself up with a hammer she cut her own nipple off you know it was weird because i'm not the only guy she's done it to she's done it to another two four people as well but i was the only one that was sent to prison you know it's just i was sat there like just thinking how can someone actually sit there and do all this to their self you know because i couldn't do it and it it was something to do with dna swabs what managed to actually get me out because she refused a dna swab uh, and i think it was a vaginal one and my solicitor pretty much fighted the ground on that one and said listen we're getting him out on this so that's when you were released on bail because there were questions about her providing evidence. Yeah. Your solicitors were able to get you out on bail. Yeah, and then when, while I was out on bail, I was out on bail for two weeks. I wasn't allowed to my hometown. I wasn't allowed 
to wherever I, li- I live or where I came from. I had to go stay with a friend further up in North Cumbria. And it was about two hours away. I had to sign on to the police station every two days at one o'clock. And then I got a phone call two weeks later off my solicitor saying that they found some more evidence on Ellie. And it was to do with some messages apparently to do between me and her. But they found out that these messages were all coming from Ellie's broadband and a phone that Ellie had. What does that mean? So she was sending messages to herself pretending that they'd come from you. And were these yeah. incriminating messages? Yeah, these were messages apparently to, of me admitting to the rape and stuff like this, saying, listen, I did rape you, you enjoyed it, stuff like that. It was They were quite disgusting to read, to be honest. But they found out that they came from a phone that had been connected to her internet, and then they got that phone and they got the messages, and they, they all came from her broadband. And what were the what was the consequences of them discovering this evidence? For you? I was acquitted of everything. In those two weeks after you'd got out? Yeah, I managed to clear my whole name. I was acquitted of everything. But obviously mud sticks. Mud sticks very, very good. And it just carried on and carried on. There was no allegations brought against Ellie for another year, year and a half. So just so that I'm clear, you spent 10 weeks on remand, you got out, new evidence came to light, the police and the prosecution dropped all charges against you. So you were now exonerated, cleared of all these allegations and charges. I wouldn't say so much exonerated because the police only classed us as exonerated in January because once she was given them guilty verdicts for the perverting the courses of justice, that's when they classed us as exonerated in a way. So I've had the mud stick with me for now four years you know it's still not coming to an end just going back to what you talk about in terms of the injuries inflicted on herself and you know a a warning to listeners here that you mentioned that she was hitting herself with a, a hammer and that she cut her own nipple so she was self-inflicting injuries and then claiming that you and other men had inflicted these injuries on her to substantiate her claims? Yeah, that, that's correct. And they found the hammer behind um, her in the field when they arrested her. They found it behind the hammer, literally metres behind her in a field, covered in her blood, no one else's. And they also had CCTV footage of her buying the hammer as well the day before. Oh my God, that is shocking stuff. So what did you discover in the time that you had your allegations dropped? What did you discover about this this individual that had accused you? Because it sounds to me that she must have had, from what you're saying, mental health issues, that she was inflicting these injuries on herself. What did you discover about this, this young woman? I discovered that she accused another guy early on in school. So that was another call out, really. If she's accused someone else, then there's red flags right there. There was quite a lot of stuff, really. Obviously, it's that long ago, I can't remember all of it. But there was just the DNA stuff was what called it out, you know. But as a person, I'd just say I discovered a very, very messed up person. She did a grooming gang scandal as well against an Asian man, um, 
then she accused him of grooming her to Amsterdam, Ibiza, and then she admitted lying about being trafficked to Ibiza in Amsterdam. Her own sister stood up against her in court. There was this one guy she met in Preston the once as well. Preston's in the Lancashire area. And she accused him. He'd only met her the once outside the train station. She accused some guy from Essex, which is nowhere near us. It's the only other side of the country. She had a massive list of girls who apparently had been groomed and raped along with her. Um, and none of these girls even knew her. You know, it was... She went to all bounds to try and get something out of this. You mentioned that the charges against you were dropped a, a couple of weeks after you were released from custody. And in the period between then and her, what what did you discover about her being charged with offences? You mentioned perverting the course of justice. Yeah, she wasn't she wasn't charged with any of that till about a year after I was released from custody. I had a police officer come to my door and say, we're, we're ready to bring charges against Ellie. Are you willing to support us? And obviously I said, yeah. And they said, you're not the only person. This is when I discovered that there was more people as well. But yeah, there, there was never any charges brought against her immediately. It took quite a while, to be honest, which I was I always questioned as well. Why could there not have been any charges brought against her very quickly? You know, the evidence was there. She was put on trial in January this year. Am I right in thinking that? That's when the verdicts were given. It was a 12-week trial. Right. But so what did you learn about her going on trial? And did you attend any of the hearings? I had attended, obviously, my part to give evidence in the court. And I attended the closing speech from her barrister and the verdict. I couldn't stick around for the closing speech because just so much was just so disturbing and, you know, I was pretty much being branded something that I wasn't in there by her barrister. So I left and it was the Christmas break then for court. So it was nothing till the 3rd of January. So it, it even stretched over, so it stretched over so many Christmases and ruined them as well in a way. It ruined my son's first few months in life because I didn't even want to have a relationship with my son because I didn't want people when he grows up saying your dad's a rapist and stuff like this but I managed to conquer conquer all that and be the dad that I can be. That's really good to hear actually. Jordan what can you tell me about what you discovered during the trial about this young woman? You you, you attended two, two of the hearings what did you discover? I mean, what was being played out in the media, for example? What was being said about this individual and the charges that she faced in court? She doesn't care. I know she doesn't care about it because she was sat in the court. She was laughing. She didn't have anyone support her. She stood up and tried defending her own lies, you know, but they're trying to argue that she has Munchausen's or PTSD in court, but... I can see the Munchausen's 100%. I can 100% see that. But I didn't really discover much about it, obviously, because when I most of the time when I was there, I was the one doing the talking in the box. So I wasn't really hearing anything. I was just getting the questions fired at me and I was firing answers back. But from the questions I was being asked, it was quite messed up. You gave evidence on your own behalf 
to state your case. Just just so that I'm clear, what was this young woman charged with? Just perverting the course of justice? Yeah, eight, no, nine counts of perverting the course of justice, but she pleaded guilty to one of them. And did she plead guilty to perverting the course of justice in your case? No, it was to do with something to do with her sister, asking her sister to hide a hammer. And that was the hammer that she inflicted injuries on herself? Yeah. And what was the verdict of the court in the end? She was found guilty on everything within three hours. So it's clear that she had attempted to pervert the course of justice, not just in your case, but in all the other cases that were brought against her. Yeah. And she was convicted. And do you know what happened to her? She's now in custody. She's been in custody for the past two years, I think, on remand as well. She's due to be sentenced next week or the week after, uh, on the 13th and the 14th. So... Yeah, we're just waiting for the sentence, really. We're hoping for quite a long one. But I have just received a letter in the post uh, today saying that she is appealing her conviction, so I don't know where it goes now. How do you feel now that she's been convicted of the false allegation against you, Jordan? It's a big relief. It's a big chapter coming to an end in my life, and I can finally put it all behind me and move on and just hopefully as weird as it sounds hopefully get my story out there and stop it happening to any other guy or at least know that there's they're not alone if you get what i mean there's people why is, why is that important to you jordan that you get your story out there because you're still a young man the allegations against you as serious as they were were wrongly leveled against you 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 know why why have you decided that you know talking to me and wanting to tell people about your story so that it can help prevent this happening to other people. Why is that important to you, Jordan? Because I don't feel like there's enough support out there for people like people like me, you, you know, there's there's not enough support out there. We need to fight for, you know, stuff to change and like I'm gonna try and fight for it not to where you're not named in the paper until at least solid evidence and stuff is brought up against you because that's one of the other things what mainly like made the mud stick. I was named in the paper even before trial. I was only na- charged at this point. I was named. So the media, there was a lot of media attention, and I think that's important, isn't it? Because I think you know people who are listening to this can go away and have a look at you know what was reported on. You know the the, the various different stages, which makes it clear about what what happened here. Because you know people often think that that in these kinds of cases, the woman's voice is not heard. And in many cases, it isn't. You know, women, you, you know, don't report rape because they don't believe that the prosecution will be able to convict the, the perpetrator in the real cases. But it's in these types of cases where people might think that there's no smoke without fire. But in your particular case, in the case of the guys that were also wrongly accused by this young woman, it's absolutely clear without a shadow of a doubt that you were facing wrongful uh, a wrongful conviction and, and many years in prison for something that you hadn't done, were not involved in. Um, but the media don't portray that, do they? They portray the fact that you were accused and maybe they covered some of the charges that she faced. Do you feel that the media have been fair in their balance of reporting what happened after you were exonerated? Yeah, I'd say the media's been quite fair there's been obviously a few stuck up ones and ones who have tried twisting things and i've had to correct them and stuff like that 
But yeah, the media's blew up on this case. Like, I've been on Piers Morgan, I'm going on this morning. You know, it's like, just from me going to prison, like, you know, and it's blew up in a way. Because why do so many people want to know about this? And, you know, it's like good in a way, though, because I can get my story out there. But I just question it, like, is it something I want to do? Given that you have been exonerated and it's clear for everyone to see that this young woman had and must still have very serious mental health problems and you know rightly so you want justice you want her punished for what she did to you because that's the natural order of things or do you have any any sympathy not because not not for what she did against you but from a humanity point of view that this young woman was obviously seriously ill and to do the things she did to herself, to do the things she did to you, that rather than imprisonment, she needs institutionalised in, in another way, maybe a mental health institution that can address the underlying problems that led her to make false allegations against you and inflict the pain she did on herself. I'd say she definitely needs some sort of mental health support, yeah, 100%. But at the end of the day, she belongs in prison. I think prison's the best place for her because if she walks out, what's stopping her doing it to someone else? That's so true. You mentioned having a son. So there is a silver lining in that you've been able to move forward in your life. It's not stopped you, which it could have done having relationships with, with other women. How was you able to do that, Jordan, without the fear of ending up in a similar situation? I'm sure it was challenging. It's very hard. I still, as bad as it sounds, I still question things at this day. Like, I always like say to my missus, like, you'd never do, do anything what she did, or, you know, I'm always quizzing something. And when we first got together, it took us quite a while to do things, and because my trust, I just don't, as bad as it sounds, I don't have trust for women. Because of this, I don't have trust for women. Like, it's bad. Well, you know, it's worth knowing that not all women are bad. That person who did what they did against you was a bad person, but it doesn't make everybody bad. Have you had an apology from the police? You know, these police that you talked about at the beginning who were quite hell-bent on securing a conviction or charging you, do you think that they have shown you any sympathy? No, I've never had a letter off the police or anything. Um, I've asked for them, I've filed complaints with them, I've done all sorts with them. So I'm just going down the legal route with it now. Well, I was going to ask whether they have compensated you in any way financially, recognised that you went through an ordeal that you shouldn't have gone through and maybe had the police been thorough in their investigation and I don't know whether they this is not a criticism of the police but I wonder if they'd been thorough at the beginning of the investigation you would not have had to spend those 10 weeks in prison where you know your mum you know had a miscarriage and you're suffering in in many different ways you know let alone being in a cell with sex offenders who committed horrendous crimes have you been compensated in any way? Is there a possibility of, I mean, because people need to know that. Do people who go through what you went through, are you financially compensated or are you given any other kind of support to help you get through what you went through? As of yet, I've not been financially compensated, but 
my solicitor is fighting for some sort of compensation because obviously I was wrongfully imprisoned. That isn't right. So she's trying to fight a way for it. And you mentioned that you've got a little boy now. Yeah. And how do you feel? And this is a tricky question because as your son grows older and any other children that you have in your life, there will come a point where maybe they read something about your history and the false allegations against you. Probably something you don't have to think about right now, but in the future, there will come a time where you'll have to have this conversation to explain. How do you feel about that? I dread that day, to be honest. I I really, I don't, I've never even thought of it like that, but I really do dread the day that I have to explain all this to my little boy. But in a way, I think explaining it to him, as bad as it sounds, it'll give him a little bit of guidance in life just to be a little bit careful. Well, that's very good. It's good to hear that that's what you're taking away from it rather than it just being a scary thing that you can say, you know, bad things can happen to people even when they've not done anything. So it's a lesson learned. What what does your future hold then, Jordan? Because, you know, like you said, you're trying to move forward and put this behind you. Are you able to continue to embark on the career that you hoped you could have embarked on before this happened? No, I've tr- I've tried going to work. I've tried doing things normal people could do. But with the way my mental health is at the minute because of it all, it's a lot better since the verdict's been given. But just the way my mental health's been over the past time because of it, I just don't feel mentally ready at the minute. But I have just took a big step in life and I've just applied for a uni course. So I'm hoping if I get on this uni course, by the time I finish my uni course, I can try and integrate myself back into the normal community of working and stuff well for what it's worth i'm sure you will you're young enough and you've got many many years ahead of you to 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 rebuild the character that you were probably before this happened what about the community because you mentioned that you had quite a a tight-knit community within the estate that you lived on how have the community responded to the developments over the the time that you were cleared jordan I've had a lot of sorrows, I've had a lot of, you know, hope you're okays and stuff like that. But to be honest, not that many people have really said sorry or anything. It's more comments on the press that I see it on. No one actually messages me or anything. So in a way, it's obviously everyone doesn't believe her anymore, but it's still just the same way it was. You know, it's not fixed anything. I just wonder, as I listen to you and I look at you, I just wonder how how you're able to walk out your front door without, you know, even though you knew you were innocent, even though you knew all the allegations against you were wrong, like you said, some of the mud sticks. And so every time you walk out of your front door, whether there is this this shadow over you where somebody who's not aware of the developments, that she has been prosecuted and now convicted, that, that you're judged in some way, do you feel like that at all? Yeah, I, I, I used to have, I walked out my door once a few months ago and someone across the road said, we don't want a rapist living around here. And, you know, I just had to kind of set the record straight, really, and tell him, listen, I'm not a rapist. That must be really hard. It must be really difficult that even now, when everything is known, there are still people who don't know the truth or are not inclined to want to 
to hear the truth. As you say, the mud sticks and this this shadow or this impression, this characterization of you continues to haunt you know, your existence. I mean, how do you get past that? I, I don't know. As it sounds, I try and lock myself away when, it, when, it, when I feel like something bad's going to happen. I'll just try and get back to my safe zone as fast as possible, really. And that's just the majority of the time. It's my bedroom where my PlayStation is. I'll just go sit on my games because my life, ever since the Ellie stuff, all my friends and stuff are just digital, if you know what I mean. They're on the other side of the world. Well, you know, from, from, from my own experience, what I would say is you, you embrace your story as you are. You're sharing your story and you're telling your story to set the record straight, but also to educate and inform people. And I think that's so important because it doesn't matter what what the individual here and there thinks or says, because you know the truth, you know your truth, and many other people know that truth. But But more importantly... You know, taking what happened to you and sharing it with other people, it makes people realise that these things do happen. But it also should inspire you to 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 be proud of the fact, Jordan, that at such a young age you've overcome an horrendous traumatic experience psychologically, physically, you know, and all the other things that are entwined in that. So. You should be very proud of the fact that you were able to withstand. And I know you've said a few times that your mental health has been damaged by the experience. But it sounds to me like you're, by sharing your story, are taking that experience and putting that negative to good. And and that's a positive thing. Yeah, 100% I agree with you. And that's all. I don't want to make anything negative out of this. You know, I just want to make it all positive and you know, try and help other people out there because there is going to be other falsely accused people out there. And you never know, just with me getting my story out there might help get theirs heard, maybe. You never know. And I think it's important because you mentioned the name of the, 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 the person who accused you. You know, this is something that's in the public domain. It's not like you're exposing somebody that people are not aware of. She has been convicted of perverting the course of justice in your case and in other cases. So it's important um, that, that people realise that. How are things with your family at the moment? Because you said, you know, when you were on remand, everybody found it really difficult. Have they all been able to move on? I only speak to my grandma, my nana. She doesn't really like to hear about any of it, to be honest, because she's old and, you know, she's, she wants to try and live the best life at the minute. And my mum and stuff, she's, it's just, they're all just, too angry over it all they just want to be angry 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 so i've cut all them off just cut them off because they're going the wrong way about it you know they're just wanting to argue with people over it stuff like that so cut them off and i want to do it in this quiet peaceful way if you know what i mean it's a shame to hear really you know that you know the consequences of of everything has has led to to those circumstances i ask people what what second chance means to them on, on this podcast, Jordan? What does second chance mean to you? Oh, it's a hard one, that really. But just to try again, I get to, as bad as it sounds, my life, I felt at that time, I felt like my life was going to end. This A second chance just means to come out of that and try and move on from it and just make it make your life better than what it was. And how are you going to do that? Many ways, and obviously I'm going to uni that gets a qualification behind my back, and I'm just going to physically and mentally get myself better and 
do the things in life that I'd never be able to do. If you had the chance to ask Ellie why she did what she did to you, why you, would you take that opportunity? Do you have questions that you want answers to? Yeah, I would take yeah, I would take that opportunity. Yeah. Well, what is it that you feel that you need to know, would want to know? I, I just want to know why. That's all I want to know is just why. Why me? Why do you think it was you and not one of your friends? I mean, we know that she did it against other random guys. Why do you think it was you? Is it because your paths crossed or because she had a vendetta against you, was jealous of you? I really don't know. I really don't know. I've, I've tried digging and digging and digging trying to find a reason why for the past four years and I just can't find one but you want the answers still and that that must be really difficult because how do you get those answers unless she is brought to a place where she feels she can explain to you why you became her victim how do you get those answers and and I'm not looking for an answer from you I'm just pondering how do you get that answer and even then would it be enough mm, I don't I don't think I'll ever get them answers ever I don't think even a family would tell me why but all I've got to do is just try and make a positive out of it and just move on just move on and just give my, give me the best life that I have Give my little family the best life that they can have and my little boy the best life that he can have, you know what I mean? Did you have any contact with the other men that were wrongly accused? I mean, did you at some point get together? Yeah, I, I speak to one of the other guys. He's called Mo Rami. I speak to him quite regularly. That's who's just tried ringing me. So. Oh, right. And is Mo somebody that is also speaking openly and outwardly about what happened? Uh, he was, but he's quietened down a little bit. He's got two older sons, and I think it was affecting his sons in a way, so I think he's just took a little step back just to focus on his sons for a little bit. And I suppose that's really important. Well, Jordan, look, I mean, you're very brave to want to talk openly about what you went through, and I you know, repeat that. I think it's really important that you you do but that you're comfortable talking about it because it's not easy you know the allegations that were leveled against you are serious allegations life-changing allegations but it sounds like you're trying to get back on top of your life moving forward you, you know trying to build a relationship with your son and you know your existence so well done you and and thank you so much for coming on my podcast but before I let you go is there anything else that you think's important to mention or talk about? Uh, I don't think so, unless there's anything else you want to ask. No, I think you've you've kind of told me everything that I, I need to know. I mean, I'm sure, you know, over the last four years, there were lots of kind of roller coaster points in your life, but, you know, you've gone from one place to where you are now, and as you keep on moving forward, things will change, your mentality will change, your approach to life will change. The experience will never leave you and never um, make you forget. But at least you are determined to to change your life. And I think that that's really, really important. And what I've taken from this conversation is you don't come across like somebody who wants revenge or you have a vendetta against this individual. Um, You're a very intelligent young man who obviously wants to move on with their life and have accepted what, what happened to you, even though it's not something you know, you would wish on anybody, um, whatever the circumstances. So thank you, Jordan, for coming on my podcast and, and sharing your story. 
I hope other people can take from this exactly what you've shared with us. So thanks for joining me, Jordan. It's totally fine. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Second Chance Podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. You can find the video of this interview on our YouTube channel at Second Chance Podcast, where you can also subscribe to be notified of new episodes. Please share our episodes with your friends, family and colleagues and follow us on YouTube and your preferred podcast platform for updates on new episodes. Your feedback is also crucial to the growth of our podcast, so please rate and review our episodes and let us know your thoughts in the comments section. We rely on several talented individuals and teams to bring this podcast to life. Logan Martin assists create content. Audio Avalanche handles audio editing. j Productions creates original music. Studio Minerva designs our eye-catching covers. Social media marketing agency Scribble manages and creates our social media content. Kim Collicutt oversees episode production with me, your host, Raphael Rowe. Thanks for tuning in. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.